The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. So good to see you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Sarah. I'm Pastor Josh's wife, and I'm so excited uh, and honored that he would ask me to share with you this morning. Um, and I just have to say, spring break, spring forward, rain, and you guys showed up. You guys are the real deal. We are so thankful to have you here this morning. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the Upgrade series so far. I know that I have. Every message has been good and rich and full of God's word and just life-changing stuff. And if you've missed any of these series or any of these messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. They are good. They're life-changing. And I hope to continue in that vein this morning. Uh, back in December when Josh and I were planning out the series and talking about what, what we think we need to cover in this Upgrade series, what are some things that we feel are real pressing that people need an upgrade? And one of those was peace. And, and we've come across a lot of people that deal with fear. And if you've got fear and you're struggling with fear, then you probably need an upgrade and your peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is No Longer a Slave to Fear. So you can write that, write that down in your notebook. And if you would, just go ahead and bow your heads and let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into this. Lord, I thank you so much for these people that have uh, decided to come to church this morning. They decided to get up early, not sleep in, not enjoy this rainy day in bed, but enjoy this rainy day at church in your presence, Lord. I know that you've got good things planned for every person here. And so I pray that you would prepare their hearts to receive this word and so that it'll take root and it'll change their lives. It'll make a difference in their life and they'll be able to stand and sing that they're no longer a slave to fear. We thank you for everything that's going to be done here today. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, it's probably been about five years ago, five years ago, Josh and I were out running some errands. And I get a call on my cell phone. I look down, don't recognize the number, let it go to voicemail. Well, a few minutes later, the voicemail box buzzes and lets me know that the person that was calling has left a message. So I proceed to listen to the message, and it's an automated recording from Kroger. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kroger is not some weird relative of mine, but it's a grocery store chain in Texas. It's a great grocery store. If you've never been to Kroger, you got to check it out. And when you shop at Kroger, you have a little Kroger card. So every time you go through, you can swipe your card and you get discounts on gasoline and different stuff like that. Well, I guess because you shop with this card, they also have the ability to track your purchases. So Kroger knew uh, what I had been buying. So I go ahead and listen to the message, and the guy says, high-valued Kroger customer, I'm calling to let you know that a product you recently purchased has been recalled, the Nugo Protein Bar. And when I heard those words, the Nugo Protein Bar, I began to panic. Like, time froze, my palms started to sweat, my throat did like this weird lock-up, hard-to-swallow thing, my heart started to race because... I had that summer eaten 30 
maybe 40, maybe 50 of the NuGo protein bars. They were my protein bar of choice that summer, and I had consumed a ton of them. So here I am waiting to hear what this man from Kroger is going to tell me is wrong with these protein bars. Was it cancer-causing chemicals? Was it some harmful bacteria? Was it shards of metal? And now my intestines are like being torn apart and I don't even know it. So I'm, I'm in this moment of dread. And then he goes on with a message. The protein bar has been recalled because it contains milk. That was it. Just milk. Which isn't a big deal because I'm not lactose intolerant and I wasn't trying to do dairy-free. I guess if you were, that would be some troubling news. But I love milk. I have milk every morning when I wake up, so it was no big deal. I went on with the day, back to the errands, uh, throat unlocked, heart regulated, palms stopped sweating. I was just a little embarrassed at how quickly I let myself go down worst-case scenario road and, and found myself gripped with fear in this moment before I even knew what the recording was about to say. How many of you ever been there before? Ever go down worst-case scenario road real quick like that before you know what's coming? I think a lot of us are that way, and not purposely, but a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, we deal with fear, some more severely than others. When Josh and I first got married, we've been married. We were, we were trying to calculate this last night. Has it been 13 or 14? Got out the calculator. We've been married almost 13 years now. It'll be 13 years in June. And when we first got married, I found myself consumed with fear. Uh, I hadn't dealt with it before. We dated for a couple of years. We went on our honeymoon. It was wonderful. But as soon as we got back from our honeymoon... We settled into our house in Tulsa as newlyweds, and here I was just completely consumed and overwhelmed with fear. I was afraid of sickness and death. I don't really know where it came from, but I just know that this fear of dying and early death came on me. I was afraid that I'd get some type of disease that would cause me to to, to die a long, slow, painful death, or I was afraid that something would happen and I would just drop dead one day. And so I was living with this constant fear of sickness and death. And then to make things worse, I had heard at church growing up that the thing that you fear is the thing that will come upon you. People used to teach that about Job. Well, Job feared all this stuff, and because he feared all this stuff, it came upon him. So now, not only was I afraid of sickness and death, but I was afraid because I was afraid of it that it was going to come upon me. So I was actually afraid of being afraid. I was a mess. I was 18 years old, probably in the best shape of my life, healthy, a newlywed, had the whole world in front of me, and yet I was consumed with fear. I would get a twitch in my eyelid or a, or a pain in my side, and I would automatically go down that worst-case scenario road. I remember once going to the doctor, and you know, you sit down in the doctor's office, and he says, what's going on? Uh, how are you feeling? And I remember actually going to the doctor and telling them, I have tingly skin, and he was like, oh, okay, Ting, can you, can you get, give me a little bit more details? I don't know. I just, I have tingly skin and I think something's wrong. And so he did a couple of tests and asked me a couple more questions. And they said, sorry to tell you, but you're fine. You're not dying. It may just be like a moisturizer you're using or hormones or something, but you're okay. So you can go home now and stop freaking out about every little thing. 
But if I, if I happen to go to the doctor with one of these weird symptoms and he actually did give me a prescription, that was a whole nother story. Because if you've ever seen a prescription and seen the side effects of what that prescription might, might do to you, that would get me on a whole different level of fear. Because I'd, I'd see this prescription that I was taking and see this prescription could cause blood clots, fainting. I remember one said loss of scalp, which is probably just dandruff. But why did they make it sound so scary? Loss of scalp. Like, so I was just a mess. I was so afraid. But I can, stay, I, can, I can say today, I can sing that song that we just sang. I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God. And it's true. It's a true story for me that he drowned my fear in his perfect love. And that's what I want for you today. Maybe you're here today and you can relate. Maybe you have a fear of sickness or death. Uh, Maybe you fear the future. What's going to happen to this country this year after the elections? It can be pretty scary if you start to think about it. Maybe you fear failure. You never take a day off because you don't want to fail. Or you don't want to start a workout plan or a diet because you're afraid that you'll fail. Maybe you fear something happening to your children. You're always worried about your kids. Every little bump, every little, every little time they fall and hit their head or something, you, you get real worried about them. Or you, you're afraid when they're out driving their car around. Maybe you fear crime. Maybe you're afraid of murder and fraud or rape or identity theft. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you've been hurt in the past and now you've closed your heart off and you're afraid to get close to people because you don't want to get hurt again. Maybe you're fearful about your finances, worried about running out of money or losing your job or or being able to pay the bills. Maybe it's what other people think of you. Or maybe you're here today and you can't even put your finger on what it is, but you just live with this gnawing, this constant fear, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I've got good news for you today, guys. No matter what you fear, I know there's a lot of different fears represented here today. No matter what you fear, the cure is the same. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we do, I want to break down a couple things so we really understand what we're talking about here today. Because there is a good fear. There is a fear. There's a part of you that God designed um, and, and, and to, to fear things. And that's a good fear. But we're, we're going to talk about the difference between good fear and bad fear. A good fear, if you're taking notes, write this down. A good fear is a circumstantial awareness or respect for what is dangerous in life. It's a circumstantial awareness or respect for what's dangerous in life. It's circumstantial, meaning it comes and goes based on our circumstances. For instance, if you were to walk out into your neighborhood and you're getting ready to get in your car for work tomorrow morning and you see a grizzly bear charging down your street, there's a good fear in you that's going to cause you to go inside, lock the door, and call the police, right? Everyone should have a good, healthy fear of grizzly bears. If you don't, you need to rent The Revenant when it comes out on DVD. And it'll, it'll renew that fear, of health, uh, that, that fear of grizzly bears for you. Um, or, or maybe you're in your car. You ever been in your car and someone starts to swerve into your lane? And that good fear rises up in you and causes you to swerve out of the way to avoid getting in a car accident. That's a good fear. It comes and goes based on circumstances. All right, a bad fear. This is what we're talking about today. It's a perpetual, ongoing awareness that has a negative effect on your day-to-day life. 
is perpetual. It hangs over you. It's always there, no matter what circumstances you're facing. You've always got a fear about these things. Here's a couple of other ways you can identify it. Is this a good fear or is this a bad fear? Because sometimes it's hard to tell. A good fear is protective. A bad fear is paralyzing. A good fear is instructive. Bad fear is confusing. Good fear is empowering. And bad fear is enslaving. So there is a difference. There is a fear that's good, that's healthy, that's needed. We're talking about today the bad fear. And this is what God does not want you to live with. You know, when I think of my kids and how we teach little kids, a, a big part of how we teach them is through opposites. If you look in my little daughter Sunny's library in her room, most of the books in there are opposite books because we find out what something is by also learning what it isn't. So the opposite of this bad fear that we're talking about, this ongoing awareness that has a negative effect on our day-to-day life, the opposite of that is faith. So real quick, I want to read you a couple of statements to help you see what it is and what it isn't. Fear is expecting the devil to move. Faith is expecting God to move. Fear is a prophet spirit from hell sent to give us a negative view of the future. Faith is a prophet spirit from God sent to give us a positive view of the future. Fear is punishment-based. Faith is reward-based. Fear is rooted in lies. Faith is rooted in truth. Fear pulls us away from God. It distances us from God. But faith draws us closer to God. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to John 14, 27. It's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. I want you to see these words. These are words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says to you today. He says, peace I leave with you, my perfect peace. If you don't have perfect peace today, you need an upgrade in your peace. And this is what Jesus offers. My perfect peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not, everybody say, do not. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. This is what Jesus wants for us. Perfect peace in every situation, in every circumstance. He wants us to have perfect peace. He wants us to live a life free from fear. The Bible tells us that he hasn't given us, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So I've got four things today, four points that's going to help us, uh, that's going to help us send fear packing and grab on to the power, love, and sound mind that God has left for us. All right, so four points, and they all start with the word turn. So if you're taking notes, you can make one, two, three, four, and they're all going to start with the word turn. And the first one is turn on the lights. Turn on the lights. Now, when Josh and I were dating, this has probably been 15, maybe 16 years ago, uh, he decided to take me on a really romantic date to Drumright, Oklahoma. Anybody ever been to Drumright, Oklahoma? A couple of you? You know that there's not a lot going on in Drumright, Oklahoma, but... Every October, they host an event called Scream Country, and we were just bored enough, and um, I guess, 
I don't know, you couldn't pay me to do something like this now. But we thought it sounded fun to go to Scream Country. And uh, I decided to look it up and see if they still do Scream Country, and sure enough, they do. It's an ongoing thing they've done now forever in, in Drumright. And this is what it says about Scream Country. It's a haunted forest, and it's a Halloween experience like no other. It's located two miles northeast of Drumright, deep in the woods, and haunts over 40 acres of dark, twisting forest. So you go to Drumright, you wait in line, you pay them your money, and then you let them scare you uh, as you walk through this dark, twisting forest. And I think what Josh was thinking that night was, this will be good, a good little day. I'll take Sarah, get, all, get her all scared. She'll have to cuddle up with me. I'll be her big protector. But what he didn't know and learned that night was that I don't cuddle when I get scared, but I punch whoever is closest to me. So we walked through the dark, twisting forest, and I just punched Josh over and over and over again. Every time something fell from a tree, every time a guy jumped out with a chainsaw or the the white scream master screaming in your ear, every time, just punched him. So we never went back to scream country after that. Um, And he still knows if we're ever watching something scary at home, he's gonna not wanna sit by me or he'll get punched. Uh, But the thing about scream country that makes it so very effective is that it's in the dark. They don't do this event in the day when the sunlight is beaming through the beautiful trees. It would not work. It wouldn't work if I could see that the guy coming with the chainsaw is actually a pretty cute football player from Drumride and his letterman jacket. That wouldn't, that wouldn't freak me out. Or if, if I could see what was about to fall from, from the tree was coming, it wouldn't scare me. Because the, the thing that makes it so scary is you don't know what's coming and you can't see what's really there. In your mind, you're picturing like a really scary criminal uh, just released out of jail. I remember thinking that and walking through the, 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 the uh, and you telling me this, that this would, be, <laughs> this would be the perfect place for an escaped convict to come and really murder people. And so, you, but you, it wouldn't have worked if it was in the light and you could see that these weren't escaped convicts. They were just teenagers having fun in, in the woods. So if you're dealing with fear, you need to turn on the light. Because when you turn on the light, things are not as scary as they seem. You get a perspective that you don't have when you keep things hidden in the dark. Now, when I was dealing with fear, I didn't want anyone to know about it. Uh, I didn't tell Josh. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my friends. One, because I didn't want people to think that I didn't have faith in God. I didn't want people to know that I was afraid of sickness and death and then them think, well, she doesn't believe God's word that says that God's going to give her a long life or that God will not let any evil befall her. If I tell them this, they're going to think I don't believe God's word or they're going to think I'm strange. Um, Or if I confess this, then it's going to come upon me. So I just kept it in the dark, didn't tell anyone about it until I saw uh, two years into our marriage, I saw Josh bring something that he was dealing with, that he had in the darkness. I saw him bring it out into the light and he began to share it with me and with his parents and with his close friends. And when he brought this hidden thing that was growing in the darkness, when he brought it out into the light and I saw how when he did that, something changed and and its grip on him began to get less and less, I thought, I'm gonna try this. I'm going to take this thing that I'm so afraid of, these things that that I haven't told anybody about, I'm going to bring it into the light. 
So when I started to get scared, when I started to have these feelings uh, of fear overtake me, I began to share them with Josh. And um, it, it, before, when these feelings would come, I, I, I would just keep them in. We'd be watching a movie or something, and, and he could tell that my mood would shift, and I'd be somewhere else. And he's watching, watching the movie, having a good time, and he'd say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you not having fun? Do you not like this movie? And I'd say, no, I'm fine. But what he doesn't know is I've got a pain in my leg. And I'm scared that that pain in my leg could be a blood clot. What if that blood clot goes to my brain? And what if I die tonight while I'm sleeping? So I'm over here by myself dealing with this crazy, irrational fear. And he has no idea. But when I brought it into the light, one, it changed things in our relationship greatly. Like the communication between us got so much stronger. But he was also a person that could shed some light on this and say, hey, this isn't God. This is Satan. And it helped me to see it for what it was. This is what small groups are for. If you're not in a small group, get in one of our small groups. You need a group of people around you that can help you shine light on things in your life. This is what your parents are for, what your spouse is for, what your friends are for. You need someone in your life that can shine the light. Also, You've got to talk to your father about this. You've got to talk to God about this. Jesus did this. I love this story. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's about to face the cross, and he knows what he's about to have to go through. He knows the physical pain, how excruciating it's going to be. He knows that he's not only going to go through physical pain, but take every sin, the weight of every sin is about to be placed on him, and he's afraid And he admits that he's afraid. He's got three friends there with him in the garden, Peter, James, and John. And he says to his friends, guys, I am overwhelmed with agony right now. He doesn't try to pretend he's got it all together and this cross thing doesn't intimidate me. He admits that he's afraid. And then he goes to his father that same night, right after he tells his friends, he goes to his father and three times he he says, I'm afraid. Can we do this any other way? And you know what happened that night? There was an exchange that took place. He brought his fear into the light. He brought his fear to the light of the world. He brought his fear to his father. And his father exchanged it for joy. Because the the Bible says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Not for the fear that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him. So when he brought it to his father and he brought it out into the light, admitted he was afraid, he got an exchange. And Jesus put put joy in him and he was able to face the cross with joy. Now I want to touch on this really quick. What I'm talking about here is exposing your fear. Bringing it into the light, not embracing your fear. I'm not saying let's, let's get these fears out in the open and then cuddle up with them and make them part of who we are and identify with them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying expose the fear so you can exchange it for the peace and the joy that God has for you. I think there's too many Christians out there that are self-diagnosing themselves with anxiety disorders. And let me tell you as sweetly as possible this morning that that's a slap in the face to your creator. It really is. He went to the cross and it is finished. He didn't give you a spirit of fear, so don't take it on. Don't live this life just going through 
this is who I am. I've got this anxiety disorder and I'm going to embrace it. Because if I embrace it, it'll help me. It'll help me understand what I'm going through. I can cope with things a little bit better. But it's not something to embrace. So expose it. Turn the light on. John 8, 12. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Don't stumble around in the darkness. Turn on the lights. Number two is turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. You know, I think a big part of, uh, of getting freedom from fear is finding what fuels that fear and cutting it off. Cutting off that source. Has anyone ever heard the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads? Anyone ever heard that? I heard that a couple of years ago and I've never forgotten it. It's, it's the mantra, if you will, of the news media. If it bleeds, it leads. That means the more uh, horrific, bloody, violent the story is, the further up it gets into the news broadcast. They want to lead with the worst possible story. I read this this week. It's an article published by Psychology Today. It says, in previous decades, the journalistic mission was to report the news as it actually happened, with fairness, balance, and integrity. However, capitalistic motives associated with journalism have forced much of today's television news to look to the spectacular, the stirring, and the controversial news stories. It's no longer a race to break the story first or to get the facts right. Instead, it's to acquire good ratings in order to get advertisers so that profits soar. So news media has two main goals, right? They want to get your attention because they need viewers, because they need sponsors, because they need money. So their goal in presenting the news to you is to get you to watch so that they can make money, okay? They don't really care about you or your feelings. So they, they want to grab your attention with a teaser. How many of you guys have been watching a football game or something and you hear them do a little teaser for what's coming at 10? They'll say something like, what's in your water that you need to know about? Or, or uh, I was watching... Oh, watching something with Josh the other day, I think the Oscars. What deadly germs may be lurking in your doctor's office that you need to know about? Like, I'm going to the doctor. Like, I need to be afraid about going to the doctor. But they, this is their goal. They want you to, they want to put a little bit of fear in you and persuade you that if you watch the broadcast at 10, they'll give you the answer to kind of help that fear go away. I read this this week too, that children and adults who are exposed to news media are more likely than others to, one, feel that their neighborhoods and communities are unsafe, two, believe that crime rates are rising, even if they're not, three, overestimate their odds of becoming a victim. This is one I see a lot, people overestimating their odds of becoming a victim, and four, consider the world to be a dangerous place. This is why we do not watch the news at our house. You may be thinking, that's bizarre. How do you not watch the news? You need to be informed. You need to know what's going on in your community. You need to know what you need to be praying for. Let me just tell you, we haven't watched in 10 years, and we know what we need to know. We've never missed out on anything important. We can see it in the newspaper, read it on the internet. Somebody that we know will tell us about something that's going on if we really need to know about it. We can pick and choose what we, what we want to hear about. But we, we, we have decided that we're not going to sit there and dwell on negative news. We don't need to know about every single car wreck that's happened in the community. We don't need to know about every single break-in. 
Every single killer mosquito or tick or weird random disease that's out there right now, we don't need to know all of that stuff. So we choose to turn down the noise. If that's something that you feel is feeding your fear, then you need to turn that down as well. Maybe it's not the news for you. Maybe it's Google. Maybe you're one of those people that that gets a symptom or your kids get a symptom and you immediately go to Google and look it up. And when you go to look it up, sure enough, you're going to come across the worst case scenario article. You've got a really bad headache. What you don't know is that your barista gave you decaf on accident and it's just one of those kind of caffeine headaches. But you find an article and you convince yourself that you have a brain tumor. Don't go to Google for everything. I have a friend that's pregnant and she went uh, to get an ultrasound a couple of weeks ago and they told her that the baby has a condition and they gave her the name of the condition and they said, promise us you won't look this up on Google because if you do, you're going to find a lot of really bad articles about this. But we're telling you, trust us. We know what we're doing. We're going to keep an eye on this, but don't get on Google. Do not look this up because they didn't want that mother to get in fear. So if you struggle with that, cut that off. Maybe it's you lay in bed at night and you're worried someone's about to bust through your house and, and, and rob your house, murder your family. Maybe you should turn off crime scene investigation. Don't watch those kind of shows. If it's, if, if it's fueling your fear, then turn it down. This is what we need to focus on. Philippians 4.8. This is in the Amplified If you have this, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn here, highlight this verse, Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Now understand, this is not us ignoring symptoms. This is not us turning a blind eye to things that are happening in the community. This is not us being naive. This is us as Christians doing what the Bible tells us to do. Choosing to center our hearts and our minds on good things. Things uh, that are of good report. Now you may be thinking as I thought when I read this verse, that there's not a lot of true and wholesome and and praiseworthy and excellent things out there these days anymore. So, So where do we find these things that Paul's talking about? That takes us to point number three, which is turn the pages. Turn the pages. We, we gotta find out what's fueling our fears and then we need to purpose to fuel our faith. And we're gonna do that by getting into God's word. It seems simple. It seems like a, a known, a given. You gotta read your Bible. But one promise from God is enough to send a thousand fearful thoughts running out the door. If you're afraid for your finances, find promises about God's provision and get those promises in your heart. Think on those things. When you start to hear about the economy and how, how horrible, it, horrible it is, go to your word and find a scripture that says, all my needs are met according to God's riches and glory. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. If you're worried about sickness and health, find scriptures on how God 
has already purchased your healing and how he does promise you a long life. And he does promise that you'll live and enjoy your grandchildren. Whatever thing you find in your life that causes you fear, find a promise to replace that fear with. So turn turn the pages of your Bible. Start in Psalm 23. If you don't know where to start, that's a great place to start to get some scriptures that will send fear packing. Psalm Psalm 23, Psalm 91, 1 John 4, if you need a place to start. So turn the pages of your Bible. And point number four today is turn back time. Turn back time. When we first moved here, oh, we were probably here about two months, and uh, we were new to the area, of course. We've never lived in Oklahoma City, and we're trying to figure out, like, where to do stuff. Where, where are the good restaurants? Where do you go to get your hair cut? Where are the good grocery stores? And I needed to get my hair trimmed, and I had not yet found a haircut lady, but my, my ends were getting all ratty looking, and I needed to get my hair trimmed. And so I had heard David Terry, our worship leader, talking about how he had got his hair cut at this hair school, this hair arts institute. He was like, it was only $6, and she did a really good job. And so I was like, okay, I'm all about a good deal. I like to save some money. So... Since I just needed to trim, didn't need any color or anything extensive, I was like, I'll give it a try. So I go to the hair school, sit down, and the girl comes over, asks me what I want to have done, just need to trim today. And, and while I'm talking to her, the instructor comes over, and he starts to, to touch my hair and feel my hair, and he's like, oh, your hair is so beautiful. I just love, you have the most beautiful, your hair is so thick and healthy, and he goes on and on about how much he likes my hair. And so I'm thinking, I have really nice hair. Like, I'm just feeling really good about my hair. He leaves, we continue with the haircut. I get my hair washed, come sit back down. And after about 30 minutes of this girl brushing my hair, I realize she is in way over her head. This poor girl has never had to deal with hair like mine. I have really thick hair. Every time I get my hair cut, the person cutting it is either complaining or um, amazed at how much hair I have. So she's trying to brush my wet hair with this tiny little comb, and it's taking forever. And then she does the trim, and I kid you not, I'm not pastor exaggerating here, two hours for her to trim my hair. So when it's all said and done, I've been in the seat for four hours. I was thinking it was going to take maybe an hour and 15 minutes for a trim, but this is four hours. And as I'm there, five or six other ladies come in and leave. All right? And every lady that comes in sits down, and the instructor comes over, and he tells her how beautiful her hair is. And the first girl, I'm like, okay, her hair is pretty good. But the next girl, I'm like, her hair is not that beautiful. And I... (laughs) I begin to see this pattern, and I realize that this guy is, he he doesn't really mean it. He's just saying this to make these girls feel better, and, and, or, 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 or he really loves hair, but I think it's mostly he's just trying to make these girls smile and, and make them feel good about themselves, but he doesn't really mean it. So I leave that day, one, knowing that I'll never take David Terry's haircut advice again, and two that this guy, his words were valueless. Now I wanna ask you a question today and I want, I want crowd participation here, okay? 
How many of you have ever heard that Jesus loves you? If you've heard Jesus loves you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm looking, I'm looking, crowd participation. Now look around. Every person, keep your hands up. Every person in this room has their hand raised. Okay, you can put your hand down. If you grew up here in this part of the country or anywhere, you've probably heard that Jesus loves you not only once, probably a thousand times. Especially in this part of the country, we hear that Jesus loves us all of the time. If you grew up in church, you heard it from the time you were tiny. I was driving around yesterday running some errands and I saw it on two billboards, you know, those church kiosks, just the words, Jesus loves you. But I think because it's such a popular concept and because we've heard it so many times and because we know that we're not the only ones that he loves, but he's, he's told that to everyone in this room, that sometimes those words lose their value. Just like that, that uh, instructor's hair, lot, uh, that instructor's words lost their value. I heard it so many times and I heard him say it to everyone else. So by the end of it, those words meant nothing to me anymore. That song, Jesus Loves Me, has been translated into more languages than any song ever written. This is a very popular concept, guys, that Jesus loves us. But we've got to understand that it's true. And we've got to get those words. And we've got to believe those words. Because this is the cure for fear. The cure for fear is understanding that God really does love us. And he's not just saying it. He really does love you. I want to show you this in 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18. If you get nothing else today, get this verse. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not yet reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. He who is afraid has not yet reached the full maturity of love. They don't fully understand the love that God has for them. And because of that, they fear. Now, I want you to understand this. The Bible does tell us that we will never be able to fully understand how much love God has for us. But we can get to this place where we understand it enough that it casts out fear. Now, as I was thinking about this, this this week, I thought, how long do we have to be saved before we reach the full maturity of love? I think in our society, we, re- we, we measure maturity by age, right? If you're 16, you're mature enough to drive a car. If you're 18, you're mature enough to vote. If you're 21, you're mature enough to pretty much do anything you want within the confines of law. So, so is it that if we're saved for 16 years, then we've reached this place where we really understand God's love? Or, or if we're saved for 21 years, have we, have we finally gotten to the place where we get that God really loves us? When I thought about that, I thought, well, who are the most, who are the most fearless people that I know? 
It wasn't policemen or firemen or soldiers. Those people are brave and awesome, but those people still fear. They, they fear the economy and, and sickness and, and things about the elections. Those, those people still fear. But the most fearless people that I know are my kids, my seven-and-a-half-year-old, my four-year-old, and my two-year-old. They've got this down. They are fearless. I think about my son, son Gus. He's almost eight, and he's the most fearless, fearless person that I know. He's not mature in a lot of other areas, but he's mature in God's love. This week, he, he came in after, after taking a shower and uh, told him to shampoo his hair, and I kid you not, when he got out of the shower, you could smell him from about 10 feet away, and he smelled just like a golden retriever, a wet golden retriever. Like, what happened in there? We told you to wash your hair. How do you come out stinkier? But it's because he, he's not quite mature enough to wash his hair, and given he's got the thick hair thing like me, so it's hard for him to wash his little hair, but, but he still has to have me pick out his clothes for school, and he still cries if he loses a board game. So he's not mature in a lot of areas. But this love of God thing, he's got down pat. He truly believes that God loves him. And he's never had to experience anything in his life to make him question that love for him. He's never lost a job. He's never had to lose uh, a loved one unexpectedly. He hasn't had to go through any major hurt trial or loss in his life. So his view, his perspective of God's love is still perfect. And that's what we need to get back to. We need to turn back time to the good old days, right? Anybody know that song? When our mom was saying us to sleep. It's true. We've got to turn back time to the good old days before we were all stressed out, before we were all worried about everything before our view of God's love was tainted. Because the thing is, God's love has never changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only thing that's changed is our perspective of it. His love has always been perfect. So we gotta go back to that place where we understand his perfect love for us. When I was pregnant with Sonny, our third child, um, I had this week where I got overwhelmed with fear. 19 weeks into the pregnancy, it had been a really smooth and great pregnancy. But at 19 weeks, fear hit, and it, fit, and it hit hard. Uh, for those of you who don't know, before I had Sonny, I lost a baby at 20 weeks. We had a son named Felix, and we delivered him stillborn. And, and so I was almost at that 20-week mark again with her. And all these flashbacks were starting to hit me of when we lost Felix, of being in the doctor's office and getting that bad news. And I started to take myself down worst case scenario road. What if this happens again? What if we go to the ultrasound this week and we find out there's something wrong with her? What if she has the same thing that Felix had? What if I have to deliver stillborn again? And I was just consumed with fear. So I did what I've been telling you guys to do. I went to turn on the light. I went to Josh and I said, babe, I'm having a rough week. And fear has hit, and I can't shake it. And I'm speaking the word, and I'm doing what I need to do, but I, I can't shake it. And he said, well, let me pray with you. And let me just tell you, if your spouse comes to you and they're afraid, don't make them feel like they're silly or like their fears are insignificant. Pray with them. 
he, he put his arm around me, made me feel tiny, and, and he said, Lord, I pray for Sarah. Your word says that perfect love cast out fear. And so I pray that, that she would be more aware than ever before of how much love you have for her. And when he said that, something clicked in me. And I knew in that moment what I was going to have to do to get rid of this fear was I was going to have to meditate on God's love. And so that's what I did. I began to turn the pages and look, look through my Bible and just study God's love. I made a playlist, a worship playlist on, on iTunes, and all the songs in it were songs about how much God loves me. And then that night, I got into bed to read to my kids like I've done so many times before. And my daughter, Bo, Bo she brought me this book, God Loves Me More Than That. I read it countless times. She brought me this book, and uh, when she brought it to me, and I read it to them that night, I turned back time, and, and I became a child again, like them. And these silly words rang true to me. And my love, or, or my perspective of God's love brought me right where I needed to be. I want to read you these words this morning. It says, how much love does God have for me? More than the letters between A and Z, more than the bumbles in a bumblebee, God loves me more than that. Tell me, please, is the Lord's love high, higher than the moon in a starless sky, higher than a space shuttle flying by? God loves me higher than that. Just how deep is God's love for me? Deeper than a treasure chest beneath the sea, deeper than a wishing well could ever be. God loves me deeper than that. Tell me, please, is the Lord's love wide? It's wider than a semi-truck from side to side, wider than the prairies where the cowboys ride. God loves me wider than that. Just how much does the Lord's love weigh? More than elephants munching hay, more than hippos on a raining day. God loves me bigger than that. Tell me, please, is the Lord's love loud? It's louder than the cheering of a football crowd. Louder than a thunder-rumbling, storm-charged cloud. God loves me louder than that. Is God's love soft, won't you tell me, please? Softer than the sigh of a summer breeze. Much, much softer than a kitten's sneeze. God loves me softer than that. Lord, it's great to be loved by you. Hope you know that I love you too. It's nice to know that my whole life through, God loves me more than that. I remember that night, my kids looking up at me and like, Mom, what's wrong? Why are you crying? But it was because the love of God hit me in that moment. And I became so fully aware that he loves me more than that. And those fears left, that perfect love cast out fear. And I go back to that all the time. If a, if a thought of fear hits me, if I get a fearful thought, I go back to that. And I say, no, God loves me more than that. I'm not going to lose sleep over this. I'm not going to put a wrinkle in my skin because God loves me more than that. Whatever you're facing today, whatever fear that you're facing, know that God loves you more than that. Go back, turn back time to where your view of God's love was still so fresh and new and where you truly believed that he loved you 
those words, Jesus loves you, meant something to you. Go back there. I want to close with this. It's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, I know of no greater blessing that can happen to any person than to be assured by the Spirit of God that they are greatly beloved of the Lord. There's no greater blessing that can happen to any person than for them to know, to be assured by his spirit that he loves them. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself this morning, what is my that? What is that thing that, that, that's causing me to lose sleep? What is that thing that's causing me to, to be gripped by fear? And I want you to ask God's Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit, do you love me more than that? And just listen, just take time to listen. He does love you more than that. Jesus overcame his greatest fear because he knew that God loved him more than that. He knew he wouldn't stay dead. He knew his sacrifice would be enough. He knew he wouldn't fail the mission God had given him. Jesus was convinced of the love that his father had for him. And because of that, he could walk in the purpose and fulfill the plans that God has for him. God has plans for you that he needs you to fulfill, but you've got to be convinced of the Father's love for you. You can't be held back by fear any longer. You can't let fear hold you back. You've got to be aware of the love that he has for you. You've got to know it's real. Lord, I pray for these people here today that they would become fully aware of the real and the true love that you have for them. It's not just a cute song. It's not just something that you say to make us smile. It's real. Your love for us is real. And it's that love that casts out fear. Help us to become fully mature in that love. Help us to turn back time. Help our, our perspective of your love to be right, Lord. I'm going to ask our altar ministry team to come forward at this time. If you're here today and you want to turn the light on, you're tired of living in fear. You're tired of that spirit of dread. Turn the light on. Come pray with one of our altar ministry, altar ministry uh, leaders. They would love to pray with you. They would love to help you turn the light on. If you have any need this morning, any need at all, our altar ministry team is going to be here. We want to pray with you. We want an exchange to take place, like an exchange took place that night in the garden. Maybe you're here today, and you have never had a true perspective of God's love for you. You, Even when you were younger, you've never had that. Maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you want to make him the Lord of your life, if you want to, if you want to recommit your life to the Lord, we invite you to come to the altars. Whatever you have, whatever you have need of, don't leave this place today with a burden. Don't leave today with a burden. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray you draw every person 
to the altars this morning that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.